Hey friends and fam, it's John and it's time for the JMart cast for Monday, May 22nd. What's going on? How are you? Hope you've been doing well and thank you for being here with me here at JMart cast, your Monday morning Bitcoin podcast about physical and financial health. Make JMart cast part of your Monday morning routine. <laughs> I'm just joking. I mean, I'm not joking. Do actually do that, but just the tone of voice was the joke. <laughs> Anyway, hope you've had a good week. This week I want to talk about something I've been thinking about a lot recently, which is injury prevention as I'm doing a lot of running and getting ready for this half marathon that's going to be happening happening in October. Um, for injury prevention, there's two things we can consider for uh, parameters that we need to manage for making sure we stay safe and don't get injured. And that is one is technique. And the second is dose of training. So both are very important and we should be striving for improving, uh, um, both categories to an optimal level where our technique is has an ideal that we're striving for and you have a pretty clear picture in your mind as to what you need to do to get there. And also with the dose of the training, we're at that perfect Goldilocks zone where we're inducing a training effect, but the dose is low enough that there's no injury incurred. So as you're thinking about this, as I'm thinking about it, um, realizing that I think that the dose of the training is much more important than the technique. Although, like I said from the start, both need to be worked on. But the dose is much more important because the human body is amazing in that it can adapt. And if the training effect is not high enough to cause an injury, but still cause an adaptation, even if the technique's not right and you're not really moving optimally and potentially causing yourself to incur extra forces that you don't need to, if you can adapt without injuring yourself, then the next time you do that, now you're much more capable of absorbing those forces. And even though you had bad, te bad technique, it all worked out for you because you got the adaptation and now you're better off. Now you can't do that the other way, right? Like think about it, if you had perfect technique, but because you're feeling real good, maybe you just decided to really push it one day and you had perfect technique, but just like there's a everything, every structure, every tissue has a breaking point. And if you exceed that breaking point, it doesn't matter if you had good technique or not. So yes, technique is important, but if you don't have good technique and you hit the right dose of training, you can still overcome not getting an injury, but it, it doesn't work the other way. If you've got good technique, but you still overdo it, then sorry, doesn't matter how you did it. You still overdid it, and if you incur an injury, that's a lot of time wasted, a lot of time lost that could have been used for training, getting stronger, even if you had bad technique, if you just dosed it right.
And I think that applies to not just running, but training in general, whatever discipline you're doing, whatever uh, your favorite sport is, your your way of training, your movement style, what it might even be dancing, whatever it is, it's still the dose or the amount that you do is much more important than how you do it overall for preventing injuries. That's my opinion. What do you guys think? Let me know. Leave a comment or email me, jmartfit at substack.com. Or you can reach out to me on social media at jmartfit on all the socials. All right, let's move on. I wanted to talk about this doctor who I came across who's done a bunch of interviews on various podcasts. And his name is Dr. Thomas Seafried. And he is a professor of biology, genetics, and biochemistry at Boston College. And he's written a book uh, titled Cancer as a Metabolic Disease. And this is basically the topic that he's been going around on podcasts and talking about in that his research leads him to believe that cancer is not genetics based. It's meta, it's based on the metabolism of the cell. And he makes a very compelling case for the argument that genetics don't have the ultimate say on whether you have have or get to have cancer and also if you do you still have a lot of power within you to kind of fight it off and get your cell metabolism back to normal to resolve the uh the cancer and so it's very interesting um to listen to uh, an interesting kind of tidbit that i can share with you now on the podcast that he's been kind of talking about in multiple podcasts I've listened to now uh, that for me as a biochemist makes a lot of sense is that he talks about how you can do an experiment. Now, mind you, this is just an experiment on a cellular level. So the implications of this maybe perhaps are, you know, to be discussed further as to how applicable it is. But here's what he says is if you take a nucleus of a cancerous cell, right? So a cell is like the basic unit of life, right? And a cancerous cell is a type of cell that divides uncontrollably. Now the nucleus of a cell is where all the DNA is, where the genetic code is, right? And so if you take the nucleus of the cancerous cell, which supposedly has DNA mutations that cause the cell to be cancerous so that, it's, so that it's dividing uncontrollably and you put it into a cytoplasm of another cell which has a normal uh, functional mitochondria in the cytoplasm that is able to uh, properly, uh, 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 what is it, oxidatively phosphorylate, right? I believe that's what they do. Let me check. Right, so here it is. The mitochondrial oxidative phosphorylation system is the biochemical pathway in the production of ATP in the mitochondria, right? So the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell and it uses oxygen to create ATP, which is like the energy currency of the cell. And if that messes up, 
that's actually what causes cancer uh, because it creates these reactive oxygen species, which then go on to create these genetic mutations. So then back to the experiment, like I was saying, if you take the nucleus of a cancerous cell, which is already dividing uncontrollably, which has these genetic mutations, and you drop it into a cytoplasm, which is like the rest of the cell, right? Without the nucleus, the cytoplasm of another cell that has normal functional mitochondria, the cytoplasm and the proper oxidative phosphorylation is able to regulate the mutated nucleus and not divide up uncontrollably. Whereas you do the, if you do the vice versa, and if you take the nucleus of a non-cancerous cell, which is not dividing uncontrollably, but you drop it into a cytoplasm with dysfunctional mitochondria, which are unable to oxidatively phosphorylate, now that cell is fermenting and that fermentation process is like what we, like what I already said is the cause of the cancer as it leads to uh, genetic mutations and other issues with the cell function that ultimately can lead to uncontrolled cell division, i.e. cancer. So yeah, anyway, check out this Dr. Thomas Seafried if you want to watch his interview. A good one is he has an interview with Max Laguver. It's worth a watch if you know anyone who's got cancer. Maybe you want to send it their way. Watch it first, of course, before you send it to anyone. The last thing I wanted to mention before moving on to the Bitcoin update was that I have a new State of Health podcast probably coming out next week on Monday. And I'm really looking forward to releasing this one because I did an interview with somebody who I just met through Twitter who shared his story about um, having Crohn's disease. He's this gentleman's in his 20s now, but in his early teens, like as a 12 year old, even he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and he just kind of told me about the experience of what that was like from that childhood, kind of getting the medications to treat it and then going to uh, try a vegan diet as a route for going into remission and then lastly switching to carnivore and what that's been like recently. So it was an awesome conversation. I'm really glad I had a chance to talk to this guy for nearly an hour. Uh, I learned a lot what it's like to have Crohn's disease, which it sounds terrible, but this guy is really brave in how he was able to handle it and, you know, come out on the other side now feeling much better than he has in a long time. And also just kind of like, changing his habits and like way of life in such a drastic way in going from vegan to carnivore. It was just a very interesting conversation and I'm happy to share it with you. So look out for that on Monday, next Monday. All right. Bitcoin update, block height 790,829. Price of one Bitcoin is trading at 26,663 US dollars. One U.S. dollar will buy you 3,751 Satoshis, or Sats for short. These are the smallest subunit that one Bitcoin subdivides, which subdivides into 100 million Satoshis. By the way, speaking of Sats, you can support the podcast with some Sats by listening to it with a podcasting 2.0 app, which has Bitcoin integrated into it. 
Some examples include Fountain, Breeze, or Podverse. Check those out if you're interested. Uh, Fountain's a good one because as you listen to your favorite podcasts, it uh, can reward you with a few sats per minute listened. Uh, So check that out. But yeah, you can also use the apps to send sats to your favorite podcasts, such as the Jmart cast. Some random people continue to send me a few sats for a few minutes listened here and there. So appreciate you for doing that. <laughs> you know, it's not a lot of actual Bitcoin, but whatever. The fact that it can actually happen is amazing. So thank you very much. All right, so moving on, how is JMark going to help you with your financial health today? Well, uh, if you know anything about Bitcoin, then you might know something about a man named Michael Saylor, who was the CEO of MicroStrategy, which is a corporation, a publicly traded corporation that has bought a ton of Bitcoin and put it on their balance sheet. But anyway, that's not actually what I want to talk about. But Michael Saylor, the who used to be the CEO, he kind of retired, but I'm pretty sure he still runs the company. He has the website called sailor.org, which has free educational courses. And one of them is called Principles of Austrian Economics. And Austrian economics is related to Bitcoin because the underlying principles and design of Bitcoin does align with certain economic concepts that are associated with the Austrian school of economics. So we'll get to what those are later on another episode, but today I just wanted to kind of share quickly what I've learned from this Principles of Austrian Economics uh, online course from sailor.org from like the first like lecture or whatever that I watched. So first we'll start with a few definitions. The first definition is what is a good? A good is something that we use or direct to the satisfaction of our needs, of our human needs. Something that we use to achieve or meet our needs, like it could be anything, right? You're hungry, an apple could be a good that meets your hunger. Then next we have this distinction between an economic good and a non-economic good. Essentially, scarcity is what delineates these two. So a non-economic good is not scarce, and an economic good is scarce. So a good example that was used in the lecture was air. Air is a good because it satisfies the need for you to breathe so that you stay alive. But there is such a large supply of it, it way outstrips the demand for it. Therefore, it is a not economic non-economic good. All right, so I think that's pretty clear so far. So then if scarcity defines economic goods, then economics is the study of human choices under scarcity. Because if things are scarce, we have to make choices, right? And that brings me to this next concept, which is opportunity cost. So Right, like human time is limited, right? We can't experience everything and, he, and we also are limited to only one or a few experience or choices at one time, right? So we 
have to make choices all the time and prioritize one thing over another. So we have to think about like the cost of any choice must also include the cost of foregoing any alternative. The way I think about this is with, with training, for example, you only have a limited amount of time to train. So you have to pick the exercises or the movements that are going to be most in line with what you're actually trying to accomplish, right? If, if your only goal is just to build muscle, then like that's what you care about the most. Then does it make sense to only do bodyweight movements or should you load with a lot more weight with like added weight like barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, whatever you have access to, right? You can still build muscle with bodyweight exercises, but there's an opportunity cost to only doing bodyweight exercises and not doing weighted exercises. And of course, this applies to finances too, right? So let's say you put your money in certain stock, then there's an opportunity cost to having put it in that stock and not anything else, right? And if so, if something else outperforms, then the stock that you picked, that's the true opportunity cost there. Because an action's opportunity cost is the cost of the most valuable alternative foregone to undertake it. So your stock that you picked might have done well and gone up as well, but the stock that rose the highest within the time period you're comparing is the true opportunity cost of having made that choice. All right, so as we start to understand the meaning of opportunity cost, then we can start to define what it means to economize. So economizing is when we start to realize that goods are things that we use to achieve or meet our needs, then we start to save goods, right? Rationally speaking, we want to save them and we want to keep them in good condition to keep those properties that help us meet our needs to keep them working. And then we can start to choose which needs we want to satisfy with which goods. And then lastly, we can try to get the best possible result with what goods that we have. So these are the things that we do to economize. Now, the interesting thing is this is all driven by scarcity. Scarcity forces people to economize by making us develop these subjective valuations of different goods and basically choosing between them. And so what comes out of this is that it turns out that value is subjective. Value is not really something that's inherent in the good or it's not some sort of property of the good or anything separate from it. It's just some sort of judgment that we make about how important this good might be for satisfying our needs right? That's what goods are. They help satisfy our needs. And we just make a judgment what our needs are and how valuable this good, how important this good could be to help meet our needs. And so if our needs change, so the value of the thing changes, right? That's why it's subjective because our needs are always different or how we achieve our needs change. So value or valuation only exists in the consciousness of people, of men and women, right? 
So an example that they gave again in the lecture was think of oil, right? Before the invention of the combustion, internal combustion engine, oil was not very valuable because we didn't know how to use it, right? We had a human need, right? We needed to move from place to place or transport goods or even, let's say, keep ourselves warm. But the properties that make oil be able to satisfy these needs were not like they were there, but they were not known to humans, right? So therefore we were not able to value them as we do now. So that was a really good example. And I think really cements home the point that value is subjective. And this point that value is subjective is a hallmark of Austrian economics. And of course, this is the course is called the principles of Austrian economics. So it makes sense that the first lesson they had was about this aspect of it, that value is subjective. So I think I'll leave you with that. Think about, think on that. What do you think about that statement? Is value subjective to you or is it not? Let me know in the comments or reach out on social media at jmartfit. And with that, we've reached the end of the podcast. Thank you for listening. Love you all. Have a great week. Stay active. Be grateful. Jmart out.